So hey guys, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. I'm so excited to be with you. Today, I am interviewing a new friend of mine. His name is Chris Larson. Chris has an amazing story of investing over the last 21 years about the portfolio he built in college uh, and his first investment property, a duplex that he rented out, almost like a six-unit duplex when he was just 21 years old. Uh, and now in this interview, we'll talk about Chris's just skyrocketing success. Now, Chris owns a portfolio um, of over $225 million. Uh, he's raised tens of millions of dollars for his apartment holdings. Um, Chris is going to tell you a little bit more about his book called Next Level Income. And Chris and I have an amazing conversation about everything from him being a professional racer and him actually quitting a race. Uh, in the middle of a race because he knew he no longer wanted to race. We'll talk about his investing strategy of investing in light value add apartments that are in the path of progress. Also in his book, Next Level Income, we'll talk about how to create an opportunity fund and we'll talk about it on this podcast. We also talk about over two dozen of Chris's indicators or metrics that he likes to look at when he's investing in big multifamily properties. Some of his favorites, which include net population growth and also drilling down into the diversity of the employment base in a market. And he talks a little bit about more on how to analyze leases, specifically on how to look for diversification of employment so that he knows that his uh, employment base will support the leases going forward. He also gives an amazing tip on how to use the United Van Lines website for your due diligence. We also talk about one of his deals that he's recently done that got an amazing valuation on a small commercial property, and then the property got almost wiped out due to COVID. All of his tenants couldn't pay their mortgage, couldn't pay their rent, which put Chris in a spot where he couldn't pay the mortgage. And now Chris was able to work with the tenants and work with the bank to create a win-win-win strategy for everyone. You're absolutely going to love this interview with Chris Larson, whether you're starting out with real estate, whether you already have a good-sized residential portfolio, or whether you're a huge multifamily operator, you'll love some of the tips in this interview with Chris Larson from Next Level Income. Check it out. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. Josh Cantwell. If you love entrepreneurship and investing in real estate, then you are in the right place. Josh is the CEO of Freeland Ventures Real Estate Private Equity and has personally invested in well over 500 properties all across the country. He's also made hundreds of private lender loans and owns over 1,000 units of apartments. Josh is an expert at raising private money for deals, and he prides himself on never having had a boss in his entire adult life. Josh and his team also mentor investors and entrepreneurs from all over the world. He doesn't dream about doing deals. He actually does them and so do his listeners and students now sit back listen listen learn learn and accelerate your business your life and your investing with the accelerated investor podcast so chris 
Welcome. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast. I'm so excited to spend some time with you, get to know you a little bit better, talk a lot about your money-making strategies, and especially these big multifamily syndications. But Chris, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Obviously, coronavirus, COVID, election, you know, kind of political and social unrest. There's a lot of reasons for people to be negative or to be confused or to kind of have paralysis because they're not really sure what's going on. But like good entrepreneurs, good entrepreneurs are always making hay, always making something happen. So I'd love to hear, Chris, what's the thing you're working on right now that you're most excited about? What deals, what kind of books, what are you working on literally today, next week that you're really excited about in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so I just finished recording the audio version of my book. And if anybody's interested, they can get it on our website, nextlevelincome.com. Just check out the book link. Um, the, the book's up there for free. Don't have the audio version up there just yet. But uh, yeah, excited to finish that. I will tell you, it's a lot harder to record an audio book than I thought. You just have to be yeah. so precise. So it was a fun experience, Josh. Uh, and we're also, for the first time, this is since 2015, we are closing on two deals within uh, each other about two weeks apart. So we're buying um, a beautiful property in Fort Mill, South Carolina, 2018 build. It's uh, just under 150 units. And then we got another property under contract in Cary, North Carolina, another beautiful area just outside of Raleigh in the Research Triangle there. I was just touring it with my family last week. So yeah, I mean, it's been, we were talking before the show, like homeschool makes my wife and I, you know, want to pull yeah. her hair out. But yeah. um it's uh, it's fun to have have some stuff that we're working on sharing with investors and and get excited about every day. Nice, that's fantastic stuff. So the book Next Level Income, tell me about it. It's probably got some stories about your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, raising money, but next level income. Like what what's the book title? Where did you come up with that? It's obviously typically a book title has a lot of meaning. So tell us about the book. Yes, yeah, so I'm. I'm- I'm not a real creative guy. I'm an engineer by training, Josh. So sure. every, everything's next level income. We got nextlevelincome.com. The book's next level income. Story behind it, about two years ago, two and a half years ago now, uh, my marketing strategist said, hey, you should, like, you should write a book. Because I, I, I was starting to build a cache of blog posts. I was sitting down a couple times a week and writing articles. And really the goal with Next Level Income, the first 10 is to educate investors. So I was trying to put articles up there because, you know, as, as you're familiar with Josh, people would call me and say, hey, can you tell me about this? And yeah. I would write them an email. And after about, you know, 75 emails, I thought, why don't I just write this and put it somewhere so people can read it? And uh, my marketing strategist said, hey, you could, you could actually write a book out of these blog posts. And I was like, well, what did that look like? And we started talking about it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to write a book, why don't I do an outline? So I was in Toastmasters, you know, mm-hmm. uh, talk about giving speeches and how to um, kind of uh, build an audience and tell a story. So I wrote an outline and I thought, okay, I'm going to sit down every morning at 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. and just write for an hour, you know, on each of these subjects. So I would, I would literally lay everything out. And it took me two weeks. In two weeks, I had the book written. We did an ebook finished that two years ago, but nice. a lot's changed in the past two, three years. So we updated the book. We put some new stuff in. I put a new chapter in. I would call your opportunity fund. And yeah, the book tells a little bit about my story, Josh, starting at age 21 as an investor. It talks about losing my father at age five, losing my best friend. Uh, when he was 18, I was 19 at the time. My wow. journey to become a professional cyclist and why I put that, uh, put that um, to the side to ultimately chase financial freedom and, and now try to help other people achieve the same thing. 
That's phenomenal. So in the book, I'm curious, most people that I know that are successful entrepreneurs have some event that usually happens in their life. Good, bad, you know, somebody, a lot of times, honestly, bad situations. I'm a pancreatic cancer survivor. That was the kind of catalyst for a lot of things in my life. I'm curious if your entrepreneurial journey has one of those moments, one of those stumbling blocks, if you discuss it in the book. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, people that know me, they hear, oh, losing your father at age five, that must have been terrible. Truth is, I was I was so young, it it, it really had a limited impact. And I was sure. raised in a Christian household. And I, I told my mom, I was like, it's okay, because he's with God now. So to me, the normal was having my stepfather, great man, help help raise. That was normal. The moment for me was when my friend passed away. We were at a bike race. He had a brain hemorrhage. And I actually went to the hospital. I was the one that identified him in the hospital. And it was, it was a shock. I put my head down for a year. And all I wanted to do then, Josh, was race my bike and be a professional cyclist. So I'm, I'm at Virginia Tech. I'm an engineering student. I tell people I knew two weeks in the program, I, I didn't want to be an engineer. But it was okay because I was going to go race my bike. And I thought I'll come back you know, and maybe go to grad school and figure out what I want to do. And I actually started, I was always kind of entrepreneurial. I had these side businesses that I would have because racing a bike, you don't make a lot of money. So I still want to have some financial means. When Chris died, I I told myself a couple things. One, I said, I'd never let an opportunity pass me by. I said, Hey, Chris, we should go do this. I'd say, that'd be great. That's part of the reason I quit racing my bike because it's so, it's so restrictive. You're so disciplined in your training, your, your diet. I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink any alcohol as a college student. I wouldn't even take an Advil. I wouldn't stay up late. That hampers your social, you know, your social life and those sorts of things. I'll never forget. I had a girlfriend bring me a hot dog from a cookout that was on campus. And I said, I can't eat that. And she's like, what? I said, I don't eat hot dogs. Like I can't like, like this, this athlete can't eat hot dogs, you know? So even, even silly, you know, silly stuff like that. But really a year after Chris died, and I talk about this in my book, I won for the second year in a row, his memorial race. And for something that was so meaningful to me, race bikes and and the memorial race of, for my friend who passed away just over a year before that, I felt nothing. And I won it like in dominant fashion. Yeah. So it should have been like the peak of my athletic career. And I felt hollow. And a week mm-hmm. later, I was in another championship. So I pulled off on the side of the road in the feed zone. If you know anything about cycling, there's zones where you can like get a water bottle or some food. And my mother was there watching on a hill. And I pulled over and I just sat down and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm done. And she didn't know I was, I literally like in my mind, I quit cycling. And she looked at me, she goes, but you've never quit a race before. But I quit that day because I knew my life had more meaning than, than just riding my bike around in circles. Right. And I wanted to honor my friend's life. I wanted to honor my life. And I knew that there was things that I could achieve that were much bigger than that. It still plays a big part in my life. A lot of great relationships. But um, it, was, it was at that point that my life and focus really changed. Yeah, no doubt. Now, today, your life, your focus is on your multifamily portfolio. Uh, portfolio consists of... You know, eight to ten large acquisitions in the last several years, over two hundred twenty-five million dollars of of property owned. You've raised tens of millions of dollars for your deals, um, and you sort of 
you kind of did all this very recently in the last several years, kind of building up. You're very strategic about where you invest. You told me kind of getting ready for this. You have three specific markets. So just tell us a little bit more about your money-making strategy. Why did you pick apartments? Why did you pick large apartments? Um, and, you know, a lot of people kind of get into apartments as an evolution where they start with small deals. They start with wholesaling or rehabbing. And, and you have a kind of a different story than a lot of people. Um, where you kind of specifically took a career path that would help you meet accredited investors to invest in your big syndications. So tell us a little bit more about your deal flow right now, maybe some deals that you're buying. You, you know, describe these couple deals that you're about to purchase and, and help us identify what does that look like and, you know, help, help our audience understand how can they participate in that type of stuff? What kind of systems do they have to have to do what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, Josh, I appreciate that. So I started at 21, bought my first investment property. And I, I talk about in my book, how I was day trading the stock market and just the volatility, the stress. I, I thought, I, I don't know if I want to be doing this when I'm 40 years old. So now 20 plus years later, I appreciate the decision my younger self made. Um, but my, my strategy was really simple starting out, Josh. I thought, okay, if I can buy enough properties to have $10,000 of net rent coming in before debt service. I was like, okay, net expenses, $10,000 a month after tax. That's, that's pretty good. Like that, that, that can provide a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. So I, I bought enough properties that I had over 10 grand a month coming in. And the second piece of the problem after I figured out what the strategy was, I needed a job to produce the capital to do it. In my newest real estate investing book, the flip system, you'll learn the proven secrets and strategies that I've used to be a successful real estate investor. You'll also hear the story of my journey from quitting my job to doing over 2,000 units of apartments. The Flip System is now available for a limited time, and you can grab your free copy at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. You'll learn the same proven principles and secrets and investing strategies that I used to quit my job and pursue a life of financial freedom. In this book, I'm sharing exactly how I was able to personally close over 750 profitable real estate deals, make over 400 private lender loans, raise over $30 million, and acquire over 2,000 units of cash-flowing apartments. Get my newest book now for free at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. That's getflipsystem.com slash podcast. Apple to do it. So I'll, I'll never forget going and sitting in, uh, it wasn't Barnes & Noble, it was Borders uh, in Christiansburg, Virginia, just outside of Blacksburg. And I got this book, it was like 100 careers where you can make over $100,000. So I had this, you know, I, I okay, I, gotta, I need to make a lot of money so that I can have money to invest. That, that was the thought process in my head at age 20. And through a series of events, I ended up meeting a gentleman uh, that was a friend of the State Farm agent I worked for, and he sold orthopedic implants. Now, I was in biomedical engineering, and here, two years earlier, we're going through like finite element analysis and how to design these implants. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not smart enough to design these things. And here, I can, I can take a career where I can understand the overall aspect and then work with surgeons to provide better patient care. And for somebody that had an interest in being a doctor, this was very appealing to me. Um, made good money, 
Um, as you as you mentioned, you know, I've, I've met accredited, you know, wealthy, affluent investors along the way. That wasn't necessarily why I did it, but it certainly provided kind of this confluence of events. So after over 10 years of owning and managing these single family properties, I realized as a, and this took me way too long if you ask me, somebody that's got an MBA in finance, but I realized my return on equity was was so low from where it could be. And then on top of that is somebody that was making, who was accredited, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I was paying a lot of tax. I was like, there's got to be a better way. So I became a passive investor in these multifamily deals. So why did I do it? I'm very analytical and people, a lot of people don't believe me when I tell them this, but my wife and I moved to Asheville, Carolina. And before we did, I had a stacked rank spreadsheet where Asheville was on there. So yeah. when it came up with a friend that was looking for somebody to move to North Carolina and work for him, I told him, I said, if you have something in Asheville, you let me know. And he's like, have you even been there? I said, no, but it makes sense on paper. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I love it. This is the engineer. This is the guy that doesn't test drive cars. I just figure out which is the best rated and how I get the best price. So that's how I looked at it. Same thing with the medical device industry. I knew that there were these demographic trends that were fueling the medical device industry. So when I started to look at other options in real estate, multifamily was presented to me uh, in a meeting with like kind of in a conversation. And when I drilled into it, I found that millennials were fueling this, this renter trend. And I thought, this is just, these are the same reasons that I decided to get in the medical device field. So it was a no brainer for me, Josh, because philosophically it made sense. It took me two years to sell all of my single family rentals and transition everything into commercial real estate. So that was in 2013. Uh, I decided to make my first investment in the multifamily space. So made a big jump, you know, from like these little, uh, you know, single family rentals to boom, you know, buying into a hundred, 150 unit property. And then our first syndication was a few years later in 2016. And uh, that was a hundred unit property. And now we're, we're about to close on a 288 unit property uh, coming up here. So we, we like the multifamily base for the demographics. I talked all about that in my book. We like the larger properties for the efficiencies that we can mm -hmm. achieve. Um, but really, you know, we apply over two dozen data points to decide what markets to be in. And then we let, you know, once we let the data and the numbers speak for themselves, we go into those markets and really work on the relationships and sourcing high quality deals like the one that we're getting right now is an off market deal. Fantastic. So you mentioned the two dozen data points. I'm sure you cover that in your book. Tell me about some of your favorites. What are some things that stick out? You know, two dozen's great, but there's usually maybe three to five that I look at. You probably have three to five as well. It could be income growth, population movement, things like that. Um, because to acquire an asset where you know that that area is going to grow, you can have the opportunity to have, you know, very organic growth, kind of, kind of a light rehab, light value add, and just kind of buy and wait as the path of progress comes through. Uh, but many people want to start investing in their own backyard. So, as you talk about your kind of favorite demographics and what helps you identify markets. Also, tell me a little bit more about how you got comfortable. Now, I know you live there now. Can I live in that market, those markets that you want? But you had to get comfortable thinking you were going to move to an area that you didn't know. You weren't going to invest necessarily in your backyard to start because the demographics told you where to invest. So help me understand the answers to those two questions. Yeah, absolutely. So again, you know, this is, you're talking to a guy who, like won't test drive a car. I just trust the numbers. Yeah, so, sure. you know, I, I don't, you know, now I have to trust my intuition more and more. So yeah, the, the big thing is net 
population growth. Mm-hmm. So if if you're looking at these investments, or you're just thinking in general, or, or let's say you're young and you're looking at where should I move to have the best opportunities in life, you want to move to an area where other people are moving. And in my book, I call it the rising tide. So population growth in an area is is literally the lifeblood of a market. So if people are moving there, it's going to make whatever you're doing easier. Unless you're trying to buy up a bunch of vacant land for cheap, that that would probably be the only thing I could think of that would you know make things easier if people were leaving. You want you want to live and you want to operate a place where people are moving. One of my favorite things, like if you don't want to dive into all the data and the numbers, go on United Van Lines website and every year they put out a report and you can see the states where people are moving from and where they're moving to. I love it. It's it's my one of my favorite things to check out every year. First time I've ever heard that little tip. I love it. Oh, yeah. it's And it's, again, like you have to dive deeper than that when you get into the markets. But it's really, it makes sense. Like people are moving from the northeast. They're moving out of where the weather's not great and the taxes are high. And they're moving to areas like the southeast where the weather's better and the taxes and cost of living's lower. Better mm-hmm. quality, lower cost of living. It's it's It makes sense, right? Right. Then you want to drill down. You go even further. So then you say, okay, we want diversity of employment. So I'll give you a, a counter example. So Houston 10 years ago was dominated by the oil industry. Mm-hmm. Now that's great industry, right? Well, when when oil prices dropped and the oil industry suffered, the multifamily industry or multifamily uh, suffered there in Houston. Today, over a decade later, you have a much more diverse employment base. So that's another data point we like to see. What are the top 10 employers? You know, are they stable? Do you have government? Do you have universities? Do you have private industry? You know, or is it a one factory town? If it's a one factory town, that you have, you know, some big concerns about what may happen. So let's say you found a region that you like, a state that you like, a city that you like, the employment diversity is is good. Now you go into a property. So let's say we're looking at, at a property. And this is super important in March when we were doing due diligence on a property during COVID. Mm-hmm. We go and we do an employment analysis within the property. So if we have 200 units, we're going to look at what each of those 200 residents, what they do. And then we're going to determine what the risk is in each of those. So what we were looking for back in March was, do we have a high percentage of service industry workers or do we have more white collar workers? And what we determined, well, we had about a 2% high risk, dem, uh, high risk uh, resident base there. And do you know what our collections were two months later? It was 98%. Was so <laughs> pretty close, yeah, pretty so, dang, dang near 100%. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of times if you know the match to look at, you can kind of predict the way things are going to occur. Now, I'm not, I don't like to bet. Like, I don't like to gamble. I don't like to bet. I like the, if I do bet, I like to bet on tidal shifts. So I bet on big long term trends. So if people talk to me, if you look at my book, I try to pick things that I know are going to on for like 10 years. Because if you bet on a rising tide, you might, you might face some short-term challenges. So people, you know, some of our investors really concerned about what, what's been going on this year with COVID. Hey, Chris, mm-hmm. collections are down. You know, maybe vacancies or economic vacancy is up. Well, we're not selling the property this year. So if you look at it over a five-year period, the, the big trends aren't going to change. The demographic right. chain, yeah, the fundamentals aren't going to change. So it provides a lot of comfort. If you know 
that you're going the same way as the tide. It's a lot easier. You know, you'd much rather paddle downstream than upstream, right? Yeah. Love it. So your strategy, we talked a little bit about this getting ready, is, you know, buy in the path of progress where there's net population migration, where there's stable jobs, diverse economic, and you purchase. And the the strategy for your passive investors, for your limited partners, is kind of buy and hold three, five, seven years and eventually liquidate and sell. Um, so help me understand a little bit and help our audience understand a little bit more about when you've started doing, I know you invested passively. Everybody's always interested in learning. How can they be better at raising money? Um, what can I do to kind of get my first big apartment building done? Maybe a my first 150, 200 unit deal. What are some of the things that you remember about your first big raise, how it went? How did you get the money in the door? how you built those relationships ahead of time to kind of have them kind of warmed up and ready to invest in your first syndication. That first one is always a little bit of a, a little bit of a grinder. Not quite sure. You're like, Oh boy, I think I can do this. I think I, I have it under contract. I, I can get non-recourse funding, but what about the $3 million I've got to raise? And then all of a sudden you're done, kind of wipe the sweat off your brow. And you're like, we did it. Tell, tell me about that for your first deal. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, so I never had somebody was like, hey, uh, you know, you, you guys raised $4 million for this deal. And I said, it was four and a half. And believe me, when you're <laughs> when you were darn proud of it, it was four and a half. half. Oh, well, when you're sweating that last 500K, like it's, <laughs> it's a big deal. So right. we raised, raised four and a half million dollars during our first raise. And what I tell people is, I mean, you can have somebody promise their first child, you know, hand over their heart, you know, swear to God that they're yeah. going to invest a hundred thousand in your deal. <laughs> right. And that's, that's worth about 50%. Yeah. Like a, a guarantee, a guarantee, you know, is about worth 50%. Um, and you know, no offense to investors, things happen. And as you know, Josh, you, when you have a financial relationship with investors, you learn a lot of interesting things. You know, I've heard, mm-hmm. heard personal stories, you know, ranging from divorce and, and sickness to, um, things like, uh, you know, having to, having to rebuild a boat dock or something like that, that was unexpected. So, uh, you know, things come up. So if you're going to raise and you need to raise, you know, $3 million, you want commitments of about 6 million. So that's rule number mm-hmm. one, you know, over, Overraise when it comes to you know the commitments that you have in hand. Um, if you back up a little bit, you need people to know, like, and trust you. So I was fortunate to have have kind of built a network over you know my career and have people that knew what I did both personally and professionally. And Joe Fairless, who's big in the multifamily space, says you need business success and real estate success ideally to be successful in this space. And I think you know, people that understand business, understand, you know, what we do in the multifamily space. So it's, it's never too soon to begin building that network. Um, we now have a platform. So I think if you're going to do this long-term, having some sort of platform, and again, I, I stumbled into this, we started Next Level Income to provide an educational service 
for people. You know, the opportunities is is secondary. You know, this was really, you know, we're just doing it um, for free as, as part of the mission that we have, mm-hmm. but it, it's definitely helped to provide a platform for investors. Um, so those are, those are a few things. And then when it comes to, you know, actually raising the money and, uh, get it, you know, bringing investors into a deal. I mean, communication is, is tantamount. Totally, you just no have doubt. to high level. You have to have a, have just a very transparent communication strategy. You have to always be honest. Um, and you always, as we say at Next Level Income, put investors first. So, you know, it's, it's like, uh, it's the Southwestern Airlines CEO. You know, it's like, do we, you know, he has, he has his formula, which is, you know, is it, is it going to be cheaper? Is it going to be more profitable? Or is it going to be better for the, the passengers. And if it's not more profitable and it's not better for passengers, it doesn't fit one of those, then it's out. So we say, is this better for investors? Like, is this better for investors? Not, oh, can we make more money on this? Like if I was an investor, would this be better for me? Always run our decisions through that filter. Um, and people may argue with some of our decisions and, and that's, that's fine, but that is the filter that we put it through. It's worked for us. And I would, I would suggest that if you are going to take an investor's money, always make sure you look in the mirror and say, is this really better for investors? Yes or no? Yeah, no doubt. When I had Kevin O'Leary on the podcast, Kevin was talking about, look, when you start to build a business, you can kind of muscle it up to about $5 million. Then after 5 million to 10 million, which is where a lot of entrepreneurs fail, he talked about the ability for that entrepreneur to go from just muscling at working extra hours to the their capacity to delegate. And then typically after five or 10 million and they have some capacity to delegate, bring on a team. Uh, now it becomes about bringing in investor money to really scale. And when you take on that investor money, just to kind of mirror what you just said, you now have like almost like a new boss, which is yeah. those investors are now your new boss. And it becomes, hey, what can we do to communicate better provide better returns, more significant returns, but also more secured, more regular, consistent returns. Um, and to be able to communicate that on a regular basis and do it in a way that you can kind of communicate with everybody. So the fact that you said you have a platform, typically when you say a platform in this space, it means you have some sort of website, membership site, some sort of back office with deal flow and education for those people to be able to read articles, see updates on their deals, and be able to do it in a way where you can kind of communicate in that one, the one-to-many strategy, where you can put in the information one time and communicate with all your investors at once. So because they don't really want to, a lot of, a lot of RPG people call us, I'm sure they call you too for updates, but if they can get a solid update by just logging into some sort of platform or membership area or investor update, uh, they would rather do that. And then as a deal gets closer to refinancing or selling, then expect to hear, you know, have your phone ringing off the hook all the time. Um, so really, really cool stuff. So Chris, let's back up for a second. I know you sort of just told your story. Again, you talk about this in your book, Next Level Income. But let's back up to when you first got started with your very first deal, period, your first ever resi deal. Everybody remembers their first resi deal. And, yeah. uh, you know, it when you talk about that deal, also tell me a little bit about one of the deals that you did that had a lot of hair on it. I love to talk about real investing and yeah. not every deal is all roses and rainbows. Um, you know, I had a deal that I bought. It was a short sale and I found out there was a double homicide in the property seven years after I bought it. And the son was, uh, 
you know, had like a, a second personality, had like a little bit of schizophrenia, ended up murdering his mm-hmm. parents. So I had some deals that had a lot of hair on them, right? So those are always the fun and fun stories to tell. But uh, tell us about your first deal. Yeah. Tell us about some hairy deals so our audience can understand. Look, this is a real business. It's not always roses and rainbows. Absolutely. So the first deal I did uh, was 21. So we are looking at um, 21 years ago here in December, which is coming up real soon. It was right, I think it was right after the first day of winter. So I was I was living in uh, a room, a rented room in a townhouse in Blacksburg. I was a junior in college and I was having issues with uh, like the, it wasn't working and there was issues. I hadn't signed the renewal. So we're talking about, you know, going into probably like October and school had started in there like one or two months and I'm paying the rent, but I hadn't, I hadn't signed a lease. So I see this townhouse up the road. It's just one, one row of townhouses come up for sale. And I was like, Hmm, it's like this, this could be an opportunity. So I looked at it. We're talking about, it was like $90,000 Josh back in uh, the late nineties. And um, I was able to get an FHA loan, pay less, put less than $3,000 down, had my mom co-sign on it. And it was basically a house hack. So I thought, hey, if I can buy this and rent out two of the three rooms, I can live here basically for free, for free. which is what I did. And that place next door. So I basically had my own little mini six unit multifamily deal. You know, if you kind of match yeah. them up together like a duplex. Um, so I was renting out for the six rooms and I was, I was self-managing it. Um, so that was the first deal I did. I think it's a great way to get started. I tell people, if you're listening, you're like, hey, how do I do my first deal? You could do a house hack. You could buy... Um, like a fixer upper, like a fix and flip that you actually live in while you do it. And to be able to live in a property, create value, and then sell it on the backside tax free, which you can do if it's your personal residence. Um, not to get, I'm not your accountant, but look into that. Yeah, that's, sure. that's, that's, that's powerful. I did the same, very similar, uh, Chris. I, I mean, I bought my first investment property. I was staying with my buddy after college, living at his place. It's like, this is cool. But I kind of see my friend Kevin is renting out two of the other rooms. It wasn't charging us much, but I'm thinking like he's offsetting a lot of his mortgage right now by running, you know, the other two rooms out to me and my buddy, Tim. So I quickly went and bought my own duplex. I lived in the first, uh, lower unit and it was a three bedroom. I rented out one of those to my buddy, Josh. His name was also Josh. Then I rented out the upstairs to a young couple, uh, with a small newborn. And I basically lived there for about a hundred bucks a month. Um, yeah. after all my expenses were paid and even the utilities and things cost me about a hundred bucks. My mom thought, you know, I was so young. I think I was 23 or 24 years old. You know, not only are you buying your first house, but you're going to be a landlord. Like, like, what are you doing? You know, like, don't do that. What makes you think you're going to be a good landlord? You're going to lose your ass. They're going to, you know, break everything. They're going to steal everything. Best. And, and I, I paid full price for it. I got an FHA loan exactly like you talked about. Um, but today I own that property. It's nearly paid off. It's going to pay for, if I refinance it, it'll pay for most of one of my kids college for at least two or three years tax-free and I paid full price. So I think the lesson there is, is just to get in, right? Get into something that's manageable, something that's cash flowing, maybe a light rehab. And it's interesting to hear you talk about now your value add apartment strategy. That's, you know, hundred units, 150 units or more is still that kind of light rehab strategy. I like that as well. That's pretty cool. Um, so, so Chris, tell me, you've probably had a hairy deal or two. You've probably had a deal that went a little bit sideways. Tell us about that. I, I don't know if I have any, you know, you kind of took some of the wind out of my sails with your, uh, double homicide story. But I think this is, this is pretty cool because it kind of, it kind of transitions between the two. So 
I sold that townhouse back in 2015. And while I was in the process of closing on it, like during that period, I had I was looking for an office downtown in downtown Asheville for my wife to rent. So we're down here looking at some spaces. It was we're actually with our attorney at the time. And he said, we just bought this place next door from the bank and we're, we're finishing it. We're going to have some offices. And we went and looked at one of them and I was like, that's pretty cool. And he goes, well, Chris, you do real estate. He goes, they have another, you know, another one of the, a seven unit for sale right down the road. So I went, he goes, I'll show it to you. So this is our attorney showing me this, you know, for the, and I looked at it and it was on the market for about 700 grand. It might even more than that. Uh, so they had they had just lowered the price. I think it was like seven twenty five at first. They lowered it. it. Was on the market for about seven hundred grand. Took a look at it, and I talked to my uh, friend who's a commercial broker, and I thought, you know, I don't really need this, but we could buy it. And it was a mess. Like it, when you walked into it, Josh, it lo- looked terrible. It was it was built in two thousand seven, so it was it wasn't even ten years old. But it looked like somebody moved out in the middle of the night. There was wires out of the wall. You know, paint was all you know marks all over the walls. There were ceiling tiles missing. Um, just, it just looked like crap yeah. for somebody that I grew up with. A, uh, a stepfather was a contractor. I looked around and thought, this is, there's not a lot wrong with this. It just looks like crap. Mm-hmm. Half vacant, half of the seven units were vacant and the other ones were at 50% market rents. So I did, I did a little back of the napkin and I was like, you know, you don't need it, but if I could do a 1031 exchange into this property, um, I'd save a lot in taxes and, and there's some upside. So I made an offer to the bank of $100,000. The bank came back at like five forty-five, dollars and we bought it for five twenty-five. Nice. So we put about twenty-five dollars into it, 1031 exchange, put another about twenty-five dollars into it to, to fix it up. Uh, doubled, du- essentially doubled rents, which were still, I, I rented below it, got it leased up as quickly as possible. And two years later, was able to refinance it. That property is worth about $900,000 today. Um, now the flip side is that's a commercial property. I had half my tenants here this past year shut down by the health department. So you have wow. this like kind of home run of a deal that you came into and needed a bunch of work. You know, from my perspective, it was easy work, but a bunch of work. Uh, you know, got it up to speed within about a year, and then everything's going great. And then um, one of my one of my tenants she had to shut her business down that was only profitable after two years. So I worked with her to transition out of that lease because she has two units rented. So I, I didn't want to kick her out of, you know, kick both her businesses out. I wanted to help her, her main business survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I helped, helped her work through that. Um, the other challenge was, the, you know, these tenants really, they couldn't pay rent and stay solvent. So I worked with the bank. Um, I was able to do uh, some deferred payments and was able to pass on those deferred payments onto them. So they were able to survive for the two or three months that they were shut down. And, you know, it's obviously it's not great when you don't have any rent coming in, but having the bank be able to work with you and pass that on to your tenants who you have a relationship with, um, it, it was it was a learning experience for me. Um, but it was also, it also made me feel good that, you know, these these individuals that I, I have a personal and professional relationship, you know, I, I could do something for them, even though it wasn't, it wasn't optimal. So, you know, it was neat because they pulled me aside afterwards and said, you know, it's really cool. Like we, we were all in this together and I feel like those relationships, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be with me as long as they want to be there. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I love the, the challenge that it presented great deal challenge presented out of nowhere due to COVID and then, you know, being resourceful, which I think 
most really successful entrepreneurs have that trait of being extremely resourceful, flexible, find a way, find a solution. Um, that's part of what kind of scares me about this upcoming election with a lot of the socialism talk is you remove a lot of that creativity. You remove a lot of the entrepreneurship uh, when you have more of a socialist society and everybody gets paid for regardless of what they contribute. You contributed in a, bit, in a big way in that deal and we're able to help people be um, stay solvent uh, because you had some skin in the game and you wanted to protect that. Um, and so we'll see. You know, you know, we'll see what happens with the election. I don't want to go down that bunny yeah. trail, but congrats on being very, very resourceful there. Um, so Chris, last and final question. I'm sure you talk about this in the book, guys. Make sure you pick it up. Next Level Income by Chris Larson. Chris, you probably talk about in the book some of the lessons that you've learned along the way. Things that you would maybe tell our audience, things you would pass along, pay it forward, pass back to your younger former self. After all of your successes, $225 million portfolio, you know, big syndication deals. You got two more deals closing coming up two weeks apart, which is amazing. I know what that kind of raise can look like. We've done deals like that too. Uh, you've probably learned some amazing things along the way about yourself, about your relationships, about your entrepreneurship, about how to manage money. What are some things that you think are maybe some top lessons that you'd like to pass pass along? Yeah, so number one, Josh, it, it all comes down to the people. And I, like you said, I talk about it in my book. I say real estate is a team sport. And I make an analogy to cycling. So people may look and say, oh, this, you know, Lance Armstrong, and some people may not like the guy, but, you know, pick pick out, you know, a cyclist that has won like the Tour de France. People glorify that individual. There's a whole team behind him, you know, a whole team, not just on the road, but people that are, you know, preparing the food, the bottles, like, Talked about, you know, the feed zone earlier, you know, giving massages, you know, uh, driving, you know, the vehicles, the team mechanics, like you have this individual and anytime you see, you know, some, you know, magnate or, you know, uh, person like Elon Musk in the business world, there's a whole team in those people. So number one, you know, begin early building your network and remember that those interactions that you have, you know, whether it's with your boss or a coworker, or it might be, I have a terrific story about the person that worked in a cafeteria when I was really early on in my career. And like the cafeteria was closed and the surgeon that I was working with couldn't get anything to eat. And I run into this guy and we just, you know, I'd been nice to him. And he goes, Hey, let me go grab you a sandwich. And he went in the back and grabbed us, me and the surgeon, some sandwiches. Mm -hmm. Here's a surgeon making a half a million dollars and a guy making a 10th. And, and this, he's like, how, how did you do that? And I was just nice. You know, I'd say hi to the guy. So just remember that those inter interactions that may seem innocuous are a reflection of your character and they compound over your life. And ultimately those, those will be determinate, not only of success financially, but also the fulfillment that you have personally. And right. I think that, you know, that's, that is the biggest thing is build that network. Remember that it's all about the relationships and, you know, you, you don't have to be cutthroat and put a gun to a person's head during every negotiation to be successful. Yeah, I love it. There you have it. Chris Larson, listen, thank you so much for joining us today on Accelerated Investor at a Blast. Me too, Josh. Thanks so much. It's been fun. So guys, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that interview for Accelerated Investor with Chris Larson from Next Level Income. Check out the show notes for links to his book and his website. And guys, listen, 
Uh, we're all in the middle of change. I want to thank you for being here with me today. All of us are in the middle of change due to COVID, due to the election, due to changes in the, in the economy. I'm sitting in a very bare office recording this in my home because we recently uh, bought an 80-unit apartment building and decided to move some of our corporate office into the leasing office and get rid of our corporate office. So the painters just left. I've got a brand new home office where I am hanging out in today, but it's not decorated at all. So if you're catching this on YouTube, I've got this boring gray wall behind me. I promise you next time it'll all be decorated. We'll be excited and ready to go. So we're going through some change as well. I'm excited. Upcoming, I've got a closing on a 16-unit apartment building. I've got a closing on a 112-unit apartment building. We just closed on this 80-unit apartment building. There's a lot of amazing... We just looked at a 52-unit apartment building. We just listed uh, one of our latest rehabs for sale. Uh, we're also winding down our private equity fund and pivoting those dollars in the multifamily and apartment buildings. Uh, we just bought a five unit. We just bought another duplex. There's been amazing things going on. So there are real estate deals happening. There are real estate entrepreneurs making money and accelerated investor. This podcast is the absolute best place to find that information and hear from those experts and hear solo casts and strategies and techniques from me. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review in YouTube or in iTunes. And again, I want to thank you so much for participating with me, sharing with me, giving me the opportunity to come into your life every single week, a couple times a week with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Hey, Josh here. And do you want to win a free Accelerated Investor t-shirt? All you have to do is give Accelerated Investor, our podcast, Accelerated Investor, a rating and a review on iTunes, okay? Do that now. Then send us a screenshot on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. What we're going to do then is every week we're going to pick our favorite rating and review and we're going to send that person a free t-shirt and maybe, again, some other cool, fun stuff as well from Accelerated Investors. So, Again, don't forget to take a screenshot. Leave a rating, review, take a screenshot, send it to us so we know exactly who you are. And then once a week, every week on the podcast, we will announce a new winner. Don't forget to take a screenshot and send it to us so we know exactly who you are. We'll announce a new winner every week. You've been listening to Josh Cantwell and the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next or who you'd like Josh to interview. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Follow Josh Cantwell and his companies, Strategic Real Estate Coach and Freeland Ventures on all social media platforms now and stay up to date on new training and investment opportunities. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Apply for coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com. Oh.